We are Centrepoint Church. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, so... Yeah, it's good to bring us all back together. Um, so in a few moments then, we're going to have the preach. And um, we always love to preach from the Bible every single week, and this Sunday's no different. And so if you haven't got a Bible or a nap, then if you stick up your hand right now, then one of these will come to you, and uh, you can then follow along um, in... In, in the book, um, so keep it up, and yeah, one will arrive to you in your seat, you can do that now, and also actually, if your hand is up because you just don't own a Bible, or you don't own a Bible that is uh, readable, you know, in terms of it has all these and those, and you don't really understand it, then you can keep this one as a free gift from us, you can just have it, it will bless you and do you good, um, and yeah, just write your name in it, and it's yours. So today is a great Sunday, because we get to kick off our equipped series, and um, Amazingly, Ed, who I'm going to will bring up in a second, is he, Ed's from Basingstoke, and uh, I, I've been yeah, boo, he wants to live in Basingstoke. Um, no, it's good, it's good. And um, so I've been in the home counties now for just over a year and a half, and having moved to this area of the country, Ed has made me feel really welcome. We, as a church, are part of a wider group of churches called Commission, and hence like our, our commission banners around. And um, Ed, the, the, ba- the church in Basingstoke is a commission church, and so as I've been in Guildford, I've got to know Ed, and he has just blessed me massively. Um, from when we've gone to regional meetings and he's been speaking, or he's come and met with our leadership team and, and just helped to encourage us and equip us. And so Ed is going to be coming to, to speak to us this morning. And he is an amazing gift, just a wonderful gift of encouragement. He's got a wonderful evangelistic gift and, and a prophetic gift too. And as he just comes, I want to encourage you to open up your hearts to receive all he has to say to us as we kick off this Equip series. So can we give Ed a massive Centerpoint welcome? Thank you, mate. Thank you, mate. All right. Good morning, everyone. How's it? Here we go. I'm setting myself up. We'll see how this works. It's a real privilege to be with you. Um, I've got the same... So my mum had this gift, really, of um, no matter how much time she was given in the morning, she used to commute every day. I'm a Godalming boy um, who moved to Basingstoke, so God must be in it. And uh, it's fine, actually. Just to tell you, Basingstoke's fine. Um, but my mum had this gift, right? She commuted every day from Godalming up to London, and no matter what time she would get up... Um, she would fill the allocated time with getting ready. So she could get ready in 15 minutes, or she could get ready in about five hours. And my, my tendency to preach, I was given that same gift. So I'm aware of this like, looming deadline, because I want to get my friend Ian up. Um, Ian has brought his family along with him. Ian's got a, uh, a very, I don't know how you'd say it. It's a particularly incisive prophetic gift from which I've benefited a lot. And uh, God's laid this leadership team and this church on his heart. He's already been an encouragement to that leadership team, and, and I know he's going to be an encouragement to you uh, this morning. So I've also written my notes in this unbelievably tiny way. Because of the time deadline, what I'm going to do is going to give you the whole, the whole preach in one story, and then the rest is just filling it out with detail. And uh, it's also helpful so you get to know a little bit about me, and I'll, and I'll share that just by giving you the most embarrassing thing that has ever happened in, in my life. When I was 10 years old, uh, there was a girl that I thought, I'm going to impress. And the way that I decided I was going to impress her was by doing a dance at our school disco. 
And uh, I thought, look, you can't trust the DJ at school disco. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to bring my own music. Because if it's like just middle of the road pop, she's not going to be impressed. She's edgy. She needs something edgy. She needs a dance to no doubt. You know, the dun, 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 you and me, that one. Edgy, when Gwen Stefani was good. And so, she's always been good. Sorry if you ever happen to listen to a Centre Point download Gwen Stefani. So, so, here's what I did. I rocked up with my own CD, handed it to Henry's dad, Andy, when the moment's right. And you'll know when the moment's right. Play track 10. So, Andy's on board with this. And I've got my moves ready. I've been practising in the mirror for weeks. I'll just give you a brick so that you... So, yeah... Back in the day, this is quite a painful process. It was quite cathartic, actually. But so these are my moves. Like that, that. So can we get, and then so, uh, inevitable, she's going to be wooed. What I would have done in the middle of this song, in the midst of this crowded dance floor, we would have created a moment. Well, I hadn't counted on one thing, and that's that at a school disco, nobody dances. Right. So I had this vision of of, of being there in this crowded dance floor and so we create the moment because nobody else would have to see it. It would just be me doing the dance and she would be amazed. But but what you get at a school disco is one row of girls down this wall and a row of guys down, down the other wall and nothing will move them. Like fear of reputational damage for being the first mover means that nobody is going to move. At best, Chumba Wumba will come on and one class clown will get knocked down and get back up again repeatedly. <laughs> I mean, you know, honouring his commitment, he would do it through the whole song. Sure, Mrs Eames might begin to sway when Two Become One comes on, giving the head of DT the eyes. But beyond that, the only thing that's going to get people moving is when the Macarena comes on and one group of girls start dancing. After that will come House of Pain, Jump Around, which gets the boys involved. And by the time Summer Loving comes on, everybody is well and truly into it. And then the lights come on, and it's time to go home, and everybody moans that it's over. Like, you spent the whole night not dancing, and then when the lights come on, you moan. And, and so here's the thing that I want you to get, that there is a day coming when the lights will come on, and it's time to go home. And the only thing we'll regret is that we didn't dance sooner. Like, and I want to bring to you this um, encouragement, because I believe in equipping, but, but more than anything else, what you need first is to seek the kingdom. And that's always what you need first. And so the title of this, if it has a title, is that revival for Nineveh begins in Jonah. And so revival for Guildford, right? Jonah's a picture of God's people in all ages. There's timeless truth in it that we're going to pull out. And so revival for Guildford's going to begin in this room. See, the lights will come on and it'll be time to go home. And the only thing we're going to regret are the people that we didn't serve. Right? The only thing we're going to regret is the cost that we didn't pour in because he is well and truly good. So let's go with this and I will start reading from Jonah chapter 1. The words are going to come up if, you, um, if you're struggling to find that in your Bible anyway. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness... Uh, sorry, the word of the Lord came to Jonah of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. I don't know if you're into weird trivia. The first book of the word of Jonah is actually and in the Hebrew. But nobody puts it in there because that seems weird to start a book with the word and. But it's massively important that it begins with the word and because it means this. This 
What's happening to Jonah, all that happens to Jonah, the call on Jonah's life, everything about him takes place in a much bigger story. And right, this isn't really a book about Jonah. It's, God gives us it because he doesn't really prophesy very much in the whole book. He says five words in Hebrew, eight words in English. He prophesies through his life because sometimes it's easier to see what's going on in a people in a person than it is to see it in a people. And so he's like this prophetic image of us. God calls him to go, but his life is taking place in a much bigger story. If you'd have asked him who he was, he'd know that he's a Hebrew. The God who made everything out of the free gift of sharing himself with the things he was going to make has acted in the world to bring back the things that have run away from him. And so in Jonah's time, right, we've got more of that story than he does, but he would already say, well, I belong to a kingdom, a kingdom created, not because of something good in us, but because of something good in him. He set his love on us, not because we're the greatest or the best, but in fact, if there's anything, it's because we're the least and the nothings. We're the ones that don't have it. We're the ones that have not. And he sets his love on us to show there's something good about him. So he belongs to a kingdom created by God's mercy to show light to the nations. Just like we do. He belongs to this people called to live and to bring and to embody the fullness of God's kingdom. And here's the thing. When that call has created you, when you exist because of his mercy, when your new identity is based on the lavish grace and goodness of God to show his love and goodness to the nations, and the only way to run from that call is to run from who you are. The only way to run from the call is to run from your new identity. And so I I just want to lay before you that it might be more than this, but it's not less than this. I want to talk to you really about your corporate identity. Because this, this church exists to change the story of this town one life at a time. That is the and of your story as a church. Everything that you are and all that you embody takes place within a bigger story. And we know so much more about it. We know the gospel of... His kingdom, God's power has arrived to end all brokenness. The kingdom is coming, right? God's God's power is here to end economic and social and spiritual and physical brokenness. It's the good news of the kingdom. God's power is here to remove every negative and destructive thing. It's the good news of God's grace, which means you can know him as a free gift. And it's the good news concerning his son. Like the whole of this story centers on on him. When you put your trust in him, you become part of a new community and a new humanity, which gets called up into a purpose. But you're now brought into the mission of God. Everything that happens in this church, your story begins with an and, because God's reconciling the world to himself. You are called up into that. The, The passion of God to reach this town because of his mercy. The compassion of God for the ones and the twos around you are just is so deep that the only way you can run from that call is really to run from your identity that is a reality about you as a church you can say more than that but you can't say less than that this church exists to change the story of this whole town one life at a time revival for Nineveh begins in Jonah revival for Guildford begins in you and so you're going to need two things and this is just what I'll do and I'll try and be super quick because all the good stuff will happen when Ian gets up anyway revival begins no pressure (laughs) revival begins in Jonah when two things happen he admits his identity and he believes in the resurrection power of God okay let's go on he went down to Joppa 
in modern-day Tel Aviv, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And then the Lord literally hurled a great wind on the sea, <laughs> and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to their own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, "'How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us, and we won't perish.' And the sailors each said, "'Come, let us cast lots to find out who's responsible for this calamity.' They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, "'Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us?' What do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Actually ended up on the right passage. That's fantastic. I'm pretty confident that wasn't going to happen. Here's the two things I want to draw out. I don't know if you noticed it. There's so much you could say about this, uh, but I'm conscious of the timing. So look at the, look at the questions that the sailors ask him. It's really important. I want you to get this. The questions they ask him are all identity questions. Right? They've asked, what route did you come by? What work do you do? What, what country are you from? You see, let me rephrase their question. Well, what mission are you on? What is your story? Where do you call home? And, and here's the most important thing about their understanding of identity. They are not asking Jonah who you are. They're asking Jonah whose you are. Their questions are not about who you are. Their questions are who do you belong to? And that's really massive for us, which I want to just draw out. You see... Here's what he gives us our identity. As a church, you get your identity from him. I don't know if you notice the kind of scandalous thing that happens pretty regularly in the New Testament, but they take phrases about Jesus and they give them to the church. I don't know if you've seen it. So in John chapter 9, when, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, also in Matthew 5, he says, You are the light of the world. When Isaiah prophesies about Jesus coming and says, Beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. Paul takes it and gives it to the church and says, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. There's this understanding of what happens when you put your trust in him. You are united with him by faith. You get your identity from there. The most important thing for you to know is whose you are. It's why everything that happens when the church comes together is about knowing God. Because you need to know whose you are because you get swept up into his mission. It is, it is true. You could say, you know, when Jesus stands in the temple and he opens up Isaiah and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to bring freedom to the captive, liberty to those in prison, sight, recovery of sight to the blind. You could literally say as a church, the spirit of the Lord is upon us. That's what he does. He gets filled with the Spirit, acts out his mission, does a unique thing that we can never repeat in the cross, and then he gives the Spirit to the church. And with the Spirit and with being united with him by faith means his manifesto, that kingdom manifesto and his mission gets given to the church. The church exists to change the story of this town one life at a time. He gives us our identity. He gives us his mission. It's been transferred to us. If ever you... <laughs> 
Oh, God is so good and so intent on using people. You remember when Cornelius has a vision and an angel says, oh, look, you really need to hear the good news. Why doesn't the angel just tell him? Don't know, but God seems committed to people. He says, go find a guy called Peter. He'll tell you. I'm pretty confident knowing Peter, the angel would have done a better job. But, but that's not the point. Because he chooses the weak thing. And the reason he does it is because he wants to bless Peter. You Philippian, uh, Philemon says this. You don't know the gospel till you share the gospel. Paul says, I pray that you might be active in sharing your faith so that you'll know the riches of what we have in Jesus. And so he, he gives this church its identity. Your story takes place in an and. Because God so loved the world, he gave his only son so that they wouldn't perish. And so a church began in Guildford. Your life takes place within an and. He doesn't just give you his mission, though. He gives you the shape of how you go out. You see, when you receive your identity from him, it's not just the mission that you get, but God, by his spirit, imparts that same heart. And so I'm just going to pick out a couple of things that he does. Let's start with compassion. I believe so much in equipping that I'm so excited about this, but there's, there's these foundational things that I think need to go in by God's spirit in order to make, make sure those equipping and those tools are getting put in the, in the right hands. When you see Jesus with anybody, he is consumed with love for the one in front of him. He is wholeheartedly given over in attention to the one person in front of him. And so when we get our identity from him, the way that we start thinking about reaching the town is by loving the one in front. And you see, if this doesn't go in, then we can start to feel the kind of pressure of a numbers game, which is, I don't, you know, I don't know if I've brought enough people in. And like, okay, the burden on me, I need to make a friend and I need to share a thing with them. But the foundation of it, Jesus is consumed with love for the one in front of him. And... And when we get our identity from him, you know, most people in our culture are going to need someone to walk with them and journey with them. Most people are going to need somebody to hold their hand. And you might not even get the privilege of seeing them go from that first conversation all the way to getting baptised. In fact, you probably won't because when God says, I'm going to make you fishers of men, he doesn't mean I'm going to make you line fishermen. That's not the picture of fishing he's got in his mind. He's got a picture of a whole group of people hauling in a net together, like The fishing happens as a team anyway. But I can get so easily into a numbers game rather than getting consumed with love for the one in front. And so if you forget the heart of compassion that he puts into you, then you start looking at the numbers and you start getting disappointed by the fruit. Here's a brutal reality when Jesus tells one of his sower parables. He says, a man goes out to sow not knowing how it grows. And most of my disappointments come from believing I know how the fruit of the good news grows. But you don't. We don't. We don't know how he works. All he asks us to do is so. Do you know, there is nothing more legitimate than, than giving up time to share your life with somebody. To, for when the compassion of God so grips you that you share your life with the one in front of you. And don't care about the numbers. And here's the thing, you could walk your whole life with somebody and they might not come through at the end of it. 
They may never respond to Jesus, but he's still going to give you a well done because you don't control the fruit. You don't even know how it grows. The fruit belongs to him. All he asks us to do is so. He gives us the shape of how we bring it, which is his compassion compels us. His love compels us to share life with the one in front. He calls us to go in weakness. Right? Some of you, as soon as you hear Equipped Series, we're going to be talking about sharing faith. You think, I don't know if I can do that. You're perfect. Let me tell you why you're perfect. That phrase, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We kind of miss the cultural weight of that statement. Uh, In the context in which that was given, feet are seen as the most unclean part of the body. Like, even we find feet pretty rank. Have you ever seen Chris's feet? It's like a hobbit with athlete's foot. So, (laughs) I've never actually seen Chris's feet, just to say that. Just, Just thought I'd tease him. Okay, when you... When the statue of Saddam Hussein came down in Iraq and you saw people beating it with the sole of their feet, they are communicating the most deep kind of dishonour. There is nothing in that culture as unclean as feet. Right? Feet are rank. And the context of when it says beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news is that there is a city that's being bombarded and it's captive and it's hopeless and it is longing for good news that somebody's going to rescue them. But when the messenger comes to say they're going to be free, he's walked on a road and his feet are like filthy because there's open sewers on the road and they're bleeding because he's walked for miles. So here he comes, battered and bruised, but the news is so good that even his feet look beautiful. The message of the kingdom is so upside down. Right? It's that you become great through being a servant and you get rich through giving everything away. That you have to lose your life to find it. So the, the worst thing you could send is a perfect messenger. The worst thing you could send is a perfect messenger. We go out battered and bruised. But we go to people who are so desperate for hope that even our feet look beautiful. And so look, this is a challenge because I'm a godalming boy. And so I feel a, a pressure of the kind of middle-class obsession of the perfect surface. And, and sometimes we stop sharing because we think we've got to have it all together. If you don't have it all together, you're perfect. God restores us on the way anyway. It's the good news that makes you beautiful. And so superficiality is going to be toxic And I'm going to edit in real time. But this is a truth about us. It's so important that we wake up to whose we are. In, in John 14, 31, Jesus says he's going to go to the cross. Why? So that he can give his life to bear his own justice in his body so that we can know forgiveness from the past and, and hope for the future and new life today. That is all in there. So that he can tear down the old ruler of the world and bring a new kingdom. That's all in there. But the reason he gives us is this, so that the world knows that I love the Father. Jesus calls us. When we get our identity from him, we get called in as beloved children, called into a delight in the Father, called into just this place of worship that always leads us to going out and laying down our lives. It's always those that fall to the ground that bear much fruit. And so he calls us into worship. We always get gathered together as beloved children to get scattered out as servants. That's just the way the gospel goes. All right, we're going <laughs> to need to move on. So they ask him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he says, pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you, but instead they did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please don't let me die for taking this man's life, but uh, don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. The first thing that Jonah needs is to admit his identity and the second thing he needs is to trust in the resurrection power of God. There's something incredibly different, difficult in us. There's something which rages and fights in us, even after this incredible thing, this incredible inward revolution happens when we come united with him that still doesn't really want to choose the road of weakness. It still doesn't really want to fall to the ground. Here's the thing. There's, there's a million and one different ways to show we believe in his resurrection power. But one of the hardest ones to do when you're a Christian is to choose the fruitful rather than the productive thing. Right? Loving the one in front of you could seem like a whole life poured out into a single individual. And you think, well, that does not look sufficiently productive for me to want to do it. But, but Jesus always calls us to the fruitful and not the productive thing. That's part of the... Okay, there's a couple in our church, for example unbelievable couple I would send them on a church plant tomorrow and I would encourage them and say guys you you play your cards right I mean you get good at preaching you gather a large group of a couple of years you could be minor Christian celebrities I mean you have seriously a lot of potential to look incredibly productive it could have like multi-sites and it can have but God said to them I want you to adopt three children before you have your own kids and whoa hold on but you, could, but you could be more productive. But God said it. So what he's called them to is way more fruitful. And like, it, sound, it might sound like a trivial example for like demonstrating you believe and rely in the resurrection power of God, but that's always kind of how he works. You see, the first thing that the world needs is a church which isn't built on a, on a shallow identity, but is built all the way down the real root of who we are finds itself in that bigger story the father loves us he set his love on us he set his compassion on us and he's called us to show his mercy to other people so we go like he went in compassion and we go weak because it was never about us anyway and the second thing they need is christians who let go of the mast of comfort and control and go all in that's what jonah's admitting when he does this He's letting go of comfort and control and in some small way he's taking a first step in demonstrating that he trusts in the resurrection power of God. God calls us to the fruitful and not the productive thing. Here's a passage which is terrifying. In John chapter 20, Jesus speaks to Peter and he says to him, just to let you know, Pete, um, when you were young, you went wherever you wanted to go and you did whatever you wanted. And when you're older, you're going to have to go where you don't want to go and people are going to stretch out your arms and then it says like in parentheses in the passage and he did this to tell him the kind of death that he was going to die for him. 
So, so Jesus, <laughs> in a moment of great encouragement, says to Peter, they're going to crucify you. And Peter does what all of us want to do. <laughs> he does comparison. And so he turns around and he looks at the room and he sees John and he says, what about that guy? What are you going to ask of him? <laughs> Jesus says some of the most horrifying words in the Bible. He says, if I want him to live until I come back, what's that to you? You follow me. John's calls my business, right? The biggest barrier to choosing the fruitful thing is comparison. But you're not called to, you're not called to appraise the soil and whether you think you're going to get fruit out of it. You're called to sow. You're not called to do the productive thing. You're called to just love the one. Right? You're called to just get so caught up in his love for you and his identity, to get so brought in as a beloved child that you say... Well, not my will, but yours be done. I'll gladly choose the fruitful thing. What's it to you, what they're doing? You follow me. Get caught up. The fruitful thing is to let the gospel, the whole technicolour gospel, swallow your life whole. And Jesus promises this, those who leave their mothers and their fathers and fields for my sake. Like, he's not trying to rob you. I don't know if you're aware of that. I meant it when I said, like, the only things we will regret, when the lights come on and it's time to go home, the only things we will regret is when we didn't dance for him, is when we didn't choose to love the one. The only things we regret are the things that we didn't lay down. He says, anybody who leaves that gets a hundredfold back in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Like, he's not promising you more fields, but he's promising this. God asked me to um, change careers, which might have affected my finances. Okay. And, and here's the thing, you cannot outbless him. It's just not possible. What I only now realise through looking back and how easy I found it to find money a comfort, that he blessed me from taking it away from me in the first place. Like, all he was doing was saving me from a trap anyway. Like, there is literally no thing, even in the, in the present age, and in the age to come when you see people in Guildford who are longing for hope, that got saved because it was your beautiful feet that arrived over the horizon. You're not going to regret a thing. Like when the lights come on and it's time to go home, you're not going to regret a single cost that he asked you to pay. And he is so all the way down, trustworthy and good. See him again. Know who you belong to. Know whose you are. Because he's not going to rob you. When he says, I'm asking this of you, it doesn't really matter what he's asking of anybody else. He says, follow me. And you see this in this passage. When Jonah admits his identity and starts trusting in the resurrection power of God, the kind of guys that he was trying to run away from finding God start getting saved. Right? He, he didn't want people to experience God's mercy. We find that out later in the book, and that's why he's running. Like He's running from his call by running from his identity. But when God's people start admitting who they are, and just take the smallest steps to trust. Like people around them just start turning to God anyway. <laughs> there is a, a grace on you as a church, and I know this because you're a church, to change the story of this town one life at a time. And it's his mission, so he's going to back it. 
the fruit of it is inevitable, even though you don't control it. And so, this is all I guess I'm encouraging you into. How is he asking you to seek first the kingdom? Like, what step is he asking you to take to demonstrate that you trust in his resurrection power and that you're okay to go in weakness because he's going to give you a different kind of power anyway? Who's the one? Who are the ones around you and in front of you? Who is the one you could show compassion to? So I think this is what we'll do. I'm going to encourage us like, to pray now. And then I'll invite Ian up and he'll bring some more particular words. And then I'd love us to finish by worshipping together. Because I think the response to it has got to be way more corporate. And there's probably particular things for particular people. And a kind of call, even actually, I think, on the leadership to know, don't be shy of seeking the fruitful thing. Don't, don't be afraid of going after the fruitful, not the productive thing. And so, look, if you know there's some way in which you just need to admit your identity in him again, if you need to, you know, you need to say, I need to go all in, I'm just ready to go, I'm ready to let go of the comfort and I'm ready to go all in. If you know actually you, you want to let go of the perfect surface and be weak to experience another kind of power altogether, you say, there is something I know he's asking of me which is fruitful, not productive, or if you're just open to revival starting in you, I'm just going to pray for us now. If any of those things are you, however you engage with God best that takes away your distractions, if you close your eyes or if you open up your hands to him, get on your knees to him, stand up, sit down. It really doesn't matter to me, but just uh, look to him. And I'm just going to pray for us and then invite Ian up. Father, I just ask that now you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and show this beautiful church whose they are. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that even on individuals now, you would pour out, almost immerse them in your compassion. Father, I just ask that you bring courage to love the one. Lord, I ask that there be a new sense when every time they gather that they would know you more, that they would feel by your spirit an active scattering of you into the town to go and bring good news to it. Father, I ask that you would demonstrate to them early how much you back the the mission because it's your mission anyway to change the whole story of this town lord i ask this church would get caught up again in a grand vision that they'd know the and in which this story takes place which is that you are a god of such incredible love and grace and mercy that you wouldn't spare your own beloved son lord i just ask that that would go in in a foundational and a in a deep way in jesus name And I just feel God would say this to you. It's already in the room. You don't need to wait for any other gifts to come in. It's already in the room. And Father, as you empower those already in the room, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would bring in tens, 
and that you'd bring in hundreds of people, that they would encounter your love in the face of your son and get caught up into your mission themselves. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ian, why don't you come up? Um, actually, before I came, my wife asked me, uh, you know, why are you, why are you going to Guildford with, with Ed? And it just because, like, the last eight months, um, you as a church have really been on my heart. don't know why. It just sort of happened. It's just, um, you know what Ed was saying about you, you as a church being um, really important to Guildford? It's just really right. And if you have doubts... You need to put those doubts down. You know, eight months I've like, had sleepless nights, and my wife's had sleepless nights because I've had sleepless nights. Um, because um, God is just saying, you know, Guildford really needs you. This proud city full of rich people, poor people, middle classes. Um, they, need, they need you rich in gospel, in, in, in the beautiful gospel. They need you. Um, they just need you <laughs> in all your brokenness and amazingness. And um, God's given me some words for you corporately and, and, and as individuals as well. And um, I sort of said I wouldn't pick people out, but I particularly just wanted to say to that, the couple just here uh, that God would say, God is doing something that you will see in your lifetime that you've prayed for and you've prayed for and you've prayed for, that he would... He, you have been praying that God would do something amazing in this city for a long, long time. And he said, I just want you to know that God is saying, I, want, I will do it in, in your lifetimes. Um, so he just, um, just reminded me uh, over the last couple of days that um, we've, we've got a kitchen that's being rebuilt. All our kitchens in, in boxes Literally, the units are in boxes and cling wrapped. And um, he, just, he just said to me, there are people here that um, it, it feels like your life is compartmentalized. And that this morning, God would like you to respond to what Ed has been saying and to the worship, to allow him to unwrap your comp- compartments and your boxes so that you can cook <laughs> in the kitchen and I think cooking in the kitchen is really um, doing what you're called to do in this town. So, um, and then um, he also just said to me, there are some other people, they just need the gospel rewriting in, in their hearts. You know, like about five years ago, I was in a really bad place. I'd been a Christian 40 years. And um, I just came into the church and... and um, into Gateway. It was my second week there. And I just started crying in the service. And it was super awkward for my family. I've got two teenage kids. And I was trying to pretend it was um, hay fever. Uh, (laughs) But it was obviously a bit too effusive uh, to be hay fever. And and suddenly it was just like I heard the gospel for the first time. I realised that God didn't just, um, he didn't just die on the, Jesus didn't die on the cross just to scrub me up clean. But he fundamentally did it because he loved me and he loved the people, people in the world. 
and it just re re-engineered me. And I feel like there's some people here today, um, you're, you're sort of Christian and you've had the gospel in your life, but God wants to re-engineer that gospel so that it's something that, that is kind of so important to you that it's life-consuming. And, and when he did that in me, he changed me and my family, actually. And both me and Anna, we've done things in the last five years we, we probably said we'd never do. Um, my, my wife works for the church. That's something she said she'd never, ever do. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it's, it's because it's what God's called her to do. And, and I think it kind of started in that day. Um, so there's some personal words. So there's a couple here. And you've been talking about a life, a big life change. And I think it's something to do with what God is calling you to do and husband he's on it you know really okay with that uh, but the wife um she's got, she's got doubts and she's worried and uh, god reminded me of the story in egypt it's egypt was a comfortable kind of a comfortable place it wasn't perfect but it was kind of comfortable and safe and to go through the wilderness to the promised land was a big deal and the promised land, you know, the, the wife's feeling, I know it's the right thing to do, but the wilderness is hard for me. And um, God would say to you three things. He will protect you. Um, he will provide for you. And he will be present. And there's a few scriptures if you come forward and you get prayed for or whatever, there's a few scriptures and I'd love to pray with you about that. Um, there's another person who's a single man and um, I'm just going to call him Goat Man. And uh, Goat Man, um, you have read that um, scripture in Matthew, the parable of the goat and the sheep. And at the core of that, you feel like you're a faux Christian. And you you're sort of a Christian, but you don't really feel like you're a Christian. And when you look at your life, there's just troubles everywhere. There's troubles in your relationships. There's troubles in your money. There's troubles in your job. And everywhere you've looked at troubles and you say, I can't be a Christian. And God, God is saying, you are not a goat. Because goats don't even care whether they're goats. If you look in that if you look in that parable, they, uh, the sheep's question, when did we serve you, God? When did we do this? When are we things? They were the uncertain ones. The goats just didn't care. And God wants to say that you are a sheep. You're not an imposter, but a son. And it's time to know this. It's to help you in your troubles, but it's to change, to change the way you want to live your life. Um, God is calling time on this and he wants to build a testimonial of his goodness and his spirit of adoption in your life. Um, there's, um, I think there's a nine-year-old or somebody in their like top, it's the top of their um, uh, of primary school and um, just that I had this picture, she's about the same age as my daughter, but the girl stands out in her class and 
at home, she seems really relatively happy, perhaps slightly quiet and normal. But actually, she's being bullied. And there's, she feels dreadfully alone. And um, just God wants to break into this isolation. And he wants her to know that nothing is unseen by him. And neither will he let the injustice go. And I don't know if that's you're a parent or, or you know this person. But it would just be good to reach out to her. Obviously, it's a bit difficult for me to do that. It would be a bit awkward. So, <laughs> um, so there's this other one. Um, there's a married woman, and I think her husband doesn't know Christ. And I had this picture of her. She's like in a green coat, which actually might be uh, symbolic of her just being confident and extrovert in her life. But actually, she feels really spiritually isolated. And God wants to connect you this morning to him. Um, and he wants you to connect to others. And he wants to do something in you that will do that. Um, and then there's uh, the last couple, I promise. is just There's this guy, um, and he's passionate to be a leader. And I just saw him like running down the street to, to go to this point. And then there was just this, like, this homeless guy on the street and suddenly just turned around and you saw the homeless guy and you went to him and um, God was, it was like God was there and uh, to this guy is, you're going to get diverted <laughs> to those isolated people, um, so, so stop, stop your focus Look around and find find the people, find the person that you're called to. Find that um, that person on the maybe actually is the homeless, but that that person that is just sat there isolated, waiting for you to come along. And um, finally, there's this um, there's a person there. Um, my wife just shared with me with this was around who feels like they've fallen in the gap. And this like, often, often viewed, isn't it, like a negative thing. I'm, I, you know, I've been left behind. Um, but God is saying it isn't negative. You're the, he's the God of the gaps. He is the person that is finding all the people in the gaps. And it's okay to feel different and feel that you're not quite like engineered like everyone else. And he just wants to say he's the one that never leaves the one behind. He goes back for the one, even over the 99. And I feel that that's something in your heart, that this feeling of in a gap is because there are so many people in our society that feel um, in the gap, that they're left behind. And, and it's that sense that you can you talk out of your own experience into that. Um, so... That's kind of the really what um, God put on my heart. <laughs> and we just, you know, really would love to pray with people. Thanks for listening. Please do come and visit us Sundays, 10 a.m. at the Odeon Cinema in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.